maybe my claim to fame is when I got a, a, a lanyard with a name tag with my photo on it that gets me in, you know, through security yeah. in, into the door and into the different uh, hallways and floors. And it was a sense of, we trust you and you're, you are a part of our culture. You're not a vendor, which always sounds so dismissive. You're a partner, you mm -hmm. belong. And so evidence of, of, of me feeling deeply embedded is that I'm invited to attend all of these different things that have everything to do with uh, running the business. And I love that, helps me be a better coach. It helps me be a le better leadership consultant. It helps me, I do their strategic advance every year, not retreat, but advance. And it just helps me be wildly efficient in that because I feel like I belong. In business, you want to consistently attract incredible people, grow at an accelerated rate, and create a unique competitive advantage. The goal, it isn't to just be the best, but is to be the favorite, the favorite in the eyes, the mind, and the heart of your customer. To stay competitive in today's world, you want to build a business where people want to come to work and where they have a chance to be great at doing what they love the most. And you accomplish that by leading through values. Because when you lead through values, people excel, profits increase, and your brand becomes more human. Now make sure you download your free guide at leadthroughvalues.com. I'm James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer, and you're listening to Lead Through Values. Hey everyone, this is James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer and the host of Lead Through Values, where we talk about what it takes to build a higher performing workplace culture, how to unleash the magnificent talents of the people on your team, and how to make your company a place where people want to come to work. Now, today I'm really honored. It's a special guest here. Cheryl Benedict is going to join the conversation. And Cheryl's an award-winning author, leadership consultant, executive coach, and a trusted advisor who partners with, with successful organizations to grow their leaders and guiding them in the midst of professional and organizational change and transition. I'm excited because this is going to be one of those podcasts where we're going to get right into the deep end, I think, about what it takes to build a great place to work. I know Cheryl has an abundance of knowledge to share with you today, but before we begin, I just want to talk with you about something I'm passionate about, and that's the growth and development of people, specifically equipping business leaders with the tools and training they all need to be the kind of leader that their team deserves and the kind of leader that they know they can be. And that's what my training program Accelerate was designed to do. So in Accelerate, we focus on the fundamentals of communication styles, behavior styles for things like conflict resolution, which is actually what our team was going through this week. And leaders in that virtual program discovered how these differing styles create conflict. And we talked about the cost of unresolved conflict. And then next week, they're going to learn, uh, they're going to get cheat sheets and they're going to learn how to coach through it. So Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, there's going to be an accelerate in session or one starting soon. So I've had business owners and anywhere from executives to administrators just say how impactful this has been and wish they would have learned it years ago. So if that's where you are at, you can learn more about that at jamesmayhew.com. And with that, Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about you and how you help your clients. Mm, great question. 
Well, I, I would say that, that often the focus is around change, be it um, senior leaders at the top needing to start thinking about, Ooh, who, who do I want to start grooming to become my heir apparent? Mm-hmm. That's often my entryway into an organization is through the, the, the topic of succession. And then that often leads into leadership development that frequently becomes a, a program that we roll out for a year. And then as a part of leadership, I always build in executive coaching because mm-hmm. I love that. And it's a great way to keep the momentum going. And it's a great way to concretize the learning. So I would say that's the bedrock of what I do. But part and parcel are team builds and senior leadership retreats and fun stuff. But it is bedrock for bedrock for me are leadership development programs and coaching. Yeah. Well, that, and that's why when we got connected, I just, um, uh, we were connected through, through, um, uh, Cindy, Cindy Skalicki. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, she knew something about a little bit about me and obviously she had been working with you and she kind of put us together and it's really cool just to, to talk with another person who lives this stuff, who breathes it like, and, and you can see, I think, you know, uh, if, if you're listening to this or if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. But if you're listening to this, you're going to see Cheryl's passion today. And that's the thing that is just so awesome is like I saw it when we were first, you know, talking about, hey, we should podcast. What would we talk about kind of thing? And it, and it was just obvious to me how much care that you have and how like there's an inner fire that really burns for you. Uh well, you agree with that, I'm sure, don't you? I do agree with that, but I see the same thing in you, James. So I think that's why there's a nice synchronicity here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, um, just as a prelude, before we actually hit the record button today, I asked you about your strengths finder. And so go ahead. Can you share your strengths and then I'll share mine and we'll let the audience make a, make a connection there. So maximizer is number one. I think futuristic is number two. Strategic, I think, is number three. Relator is number four. And number five varies. I think last time I did it, it was connector or connectedness. Yeah, connectedness. Number five will often vary depending upon the situation I'm in and what strength I need to embody. How about you? Well, I was going to say, see, that's the funny thing is because when you started listing those, I was like, okay, I know where she's going with these because I think this is the thing that I found about you that like we kind of clicked and it was fun. So my five are so similar. They're just in a little different order. So I'm futuristic, strategic, self-assurance, maximizer, and relator. And so we share four of the same top five. And then quite honestly, connectedness and relator aren't necessarily too far apart on the spectrum either, yeah. you know? So anyway, yeah, we're kind of like kindred spirits. I feel that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that. Well, when we were, when we were talking about where should we jump in? Because we could jump in a thousand different places. Um, I like to jump in the deep end when we get into these and, and, you know, we got there really quick when we were talking about this and I'm just looking at an email over here. And uh, I had written down something that you said when we were, you know, planning to do a podcast and you said um, a phrase deeply embedded in the culture. And when you said it, you were sort of talking about it from an experience that you, you have had with a client. And yet what we did is we started to talk about like, how do, how does that happen for an employees? How do you create a company 
where people can feel deeply embedded in the culture? What, what would they see, you know, uh, as a, as a visitor or as an applicant, or even on a daily basis when an employee is walking through the halls, how, I mean, what's deeply embedded look like? So I've got some thoughts on, on just saying like, when you, I'll just say it this way, I'll frame it up real simple. If you visit a place that has a great workplace culture, as soon as you walk through the front door, you will know it. You may have known it before you walk in. I agree. I can feel it. It's visceral. It's visceral. I can feel it when, when things are clicking and there's a hum of satisfaction and contentment that pervades the entire organization. And I can feel it when it's absent. So mm. a- amen, brother. I, I, can, <laughs> I can feel that. So the deeply embedded, I was referring to my experience of being a partner with an organization that I've served for 12 years. And maybe my claim to fame is when I got a, a, a lanyard with a name tag with my photo on it that gets me in, you know, through security yeah. in, into the door and into the different uh, hallways and floors. And it was a sense of, we trust you. And you're, you are a part of our culture. You're not a vendor, which always sounds so dismissive. You're a partner. You mm-hmm. belong. And so evidence of, of, of me feeling deeply embedded is that I'm invited to attend all of these different things that have everything to do with uh, running the business. And I love that. Helps me be a better coach. It helps me be a le- better leadership consultant. It helps me. I do their strategic advance every year, not retreat, but advance. And it just helps me be wildly efficient in that because I feel like I belong. And so I was just there Monday and Tuesday this week. And one of the things I was getting the biggest kick out of was everybody's going to return to work. We're calling it the repatriation month. And uh, Mike was talking about, wouldn't it be fun to buy everyone pajama bottoms so that everybody could wear (laughs) pajama bottoms as if they were still at home or maybe slippers. So there is this, this evidence of fun and lightheartedness, but I think because this organization has been employee owned for 66 years. There is that legitimate sense of this is mine. I own this. And every decision I make feeds into that. You know, Mm. I'll be frugal with my expenditures. I'll be mindful of what I spend because it's my money. It's my company. It's pretty magical. I think that has a lot to do with the culture being one that's so much fun. I mean, I look forward to going there. I look forward to putting on my name badge. I look forward to walking through the door where I see Linda glowing at me from the reception desk. And, you know, there's just uh, an exchange of affection and and friendship. Pretty magical. And and when you say magical, like what what I think you mean kind of almost it's rare. It's super uncommon. Right. Yes. And so it's, and that's what makes it so special. And, and I was just going to ask you to like share some of the, the ways, but you already did of how you sense it when you do enter a place like that, when you enter that front door, in fact, for me, I've noticed it before you actually enter the building, you, there's just certain things that you can pick up on. Now it may not indicate 
anything necessarily about the kind of way you'll be treated as a human being, but you'll notice certain things, right? Like for, for example, is parking easy when you pull in? Because somebody said it's really important when we have visitors come or when we have that person who is applying for the job, let's make sure that we give them easy access. Let's not make it hard for them. I, I love little details like that. I can get really caught in those details. Yes. And, and then, like you said, when you walk in, are you greeted like in a, in, in a Disney sort of fashion? Like that's to me how you, how you kind of described it almost. Um, when you, you also said a couple other words, like when you say it's visceral, can you just take that and unpack it a little bit? So as, as we all kind of are grasping what it might be like, we all have this little film strip that's going on in our head right now. Um, whether you've not experienced that or you have experienced it, but we're trying to picture it the way you describe it. So what's, how do how do you define that visceral part? Great, just great question, because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a felt sense. So it's not a head. It's not a cerebral mind ego kind of sense. It's more of a, it registers in the, the gut or in the, the torso. Uh, uh, by visceral, I mean, it's a sense of I'm safe. There, there is a, a sense of psychological safety. There's a sense of welcoming. There's a sense of you belong and a mm. sense of, it's almost like, I don't know how to describe this without becoming esoteric, but, but it is as if the, the building itself carries an energetic imprint. And, and Cheryl, that can't be faked, can it? No, no, it cannot. I no, mean, it you, cannot. You can you can pick that up right away when it's I false. can. Yeah. I can. I'm I think highly sensitive, can. you know, and mm-hmm. I can I can just feel it. And so um and I know I've even write about this in my book, but the the senior most leaders, there is such a gravita on being a senior most leader because people are picking up cues from you even as you walk down the hallway to go to the loo. Because your affect or your your countenance or your own energetic imprint is broadcasting, kind of like mom or dad. Is it, are we okay? Are things going to be okay, especially during COVID? So I think there is a sense of assurance that, that you feel when the senior leaders are happy and jazzed about the performance of the company and excited about the new opportunities and the, the backlog of business and the financials. It's a, it's a joy that permeates throughout the entire organization. I can feel it. Okay. So this is a really, like, just to take what you just said there. First of all, there was a word genuine that comes to mind as you describe it. It's not concocted. It's not fake. And I was actually going to ask you, like, what's the opposite? But I think our listeners, people that are viewing this, we all know what it's like when you walk into a place and there's a negative energy there. There's the negative vibe. You know, people are maybe working at a high pace. Maybe they're, you know, you can just hear the quiet conversations that are taking place. And when somebody walks into the room, they all stop, you know, and they look you know toxicity when you see it. And most people are sensitive to it. They just may not be able to put that word to it. You know, they, they don't yes. understand it. But 
it made me think about, um, you know, what, what would it take? Wouldn't it be great? Like, this is a fun, like fill in the blank kind of question I like. And so I'm going to kind of volley that to you and, and we'll just kind of play off of it is wouldn't it be great if every business could do this. And so I'm going to, where I'm going to enter into this, I was um, serving on a, uh, I serve a nonprofit in, in my hometown of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And we had a board meeting. I'm, I'm the chair um, uh, for the next few months yet. And we had a meeting where we were talking about establishing culture. And our executive director is a very strong leader. He's a great man. And he said, we are going to define our value system. And I went, yes, like this is, this is me. This is where I, I've been working on this for a while. And we just drew a very, I won't say a line in the sand because it's more like etched in concrete that we have a goal. We want to get this done by and we are going to do it. And I, that just got me so excited because the way that Mark entered into that, he was saying, wouldn't it be great if, or, or when, maybe the, the, the word to finish there is when. So, so Cheryl, how would you fill that sentence in when you're thinking about creating, um, or maybe it's when you're, when you're proposing to working with a client, maybe the client is even saying some, some cues to you. How do you complete that sentence? Wouldn't it be great when... Wouldn't it be great when, or won't it be great when everyone feels genuinely aligned mm. to the same mission and the same vision, and we're all rowing in the same direction because we're captivated by the, by the mission. We're on board. There's a sense of cause motivation. I, I honor this cause, and I, I can believe in this cause, and I'm willing to put my whole self in like the hokey pokey to this, I think that is what creates a sense of, wow, a, a true collaboration, that mm. collegiate sense of we're all in this together. And, and I think there is a, almost a magic I know I used that word earlier, but I think there's almost a magic that occurs because it's not often that mm -hmm. we as humans get to align with others with a greater purpose or a greater vision and to watch the impact you can make when, when we're all headed in the same direction. It's very powerful yeah. and I think somewhat rare. Oh, I think it's, I think it's quite rare. And I, and I believe that the, the word culture and obviously engagement's been around um, maybe in a little bit different sense, in my impression, a little longer than culture. Culture now is being talked about on anything from sports teams through politics and in business, obviously. What's rare is very, very few businesses ever fully maximize the potential of a cult, what culture can do. Like culture exists whether you're paying attention to it or not, right? You, do you agree with that? It, there's a, there's right. a culture there that's either, it, it is what it is if we're not paying attention to it. Kind of don't like that phrase, it is what it is. But I mean, I don't know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. And so the best companies have learned how to, how to be intentional about it, but not just in their words, but in their actions and in their behaviors. And so you start moving from accountability to ownership, kind of like in, in, in a, an employee-owned company, like that's the difference. But you don't have to wait till that to get there. You can create an environment where that is happening. But what does it, in, in your opinion, what does it take to create that environment? What is, how do you do culture shift? Um. Big as, question, as, I know. No, it's a, it's a powerful question. As one who attempted 
to do it within an organization, working with the second tier of leaders down, as one who attempted that for three years uh, and gave it everything I had to attempt to affect that in a positive way, unless you've got the senior most leaders inspired and uh, um, bought in and espousing that in every communication they have, be it at the water cooler or at the shooting range or at the a golf match, my experience is that when there's a lack of integrity and wholeness with senior leaders and the messages that they're giving and broadcasting with what the rest of the culture is pining for, hungry for, when there's a division or a break, I don't think it can happen. And that's the sad tale of woe. <laughs> I gave it everything I had and I ended up having to end the relationship with this organization because I realized as much as I loved them and as much as I attempted to affect genuine and heartfelt change, unless the senior most leaders are truly bought in all the way down to their toes, it doesn't work. Because well, before I might have naively said, oh, grassroots, you know, yeah. organic, right. let it bubble up. And that was sort of my, my, my image. But imagine my, my uh, suffering and pain when I discovered that unless the owner or the senior leaders are, are really the champion of that, it, it, it fizzles, it peters out. And in some ways, I felt like I created even more um, discomfiture within the organization because we were envisioning a future that was bright and full of a positive culture but in fact it couldn't go any further have you ever experienced that oh yeah it was a sad one for me yeah it, it's for, sad yes uh, i i remember feeling that way but for me it was an overwhelming feeling of frustration yes that and and part of it was is because it wasn't just my frustration I was hearing it from some of the senior managers, okay? And so it was a smaller organization. There wasn't this huge corporate, you know, it's about a hundred people total in this company. And um, the, I think the challenge was, is that they were frustrated that they didn't feel heard, that they didn't have a chance to contribute, that they weren't consulted on decisions. Then I became sort of like their sounding board mm-hmm. or their, their dumping station, honestly, is what it was. And so right. I'm absorbing that negative thing and going, man, what is it going to take to fix it? And some things aren't fixed. They're not fixable. And, and yeah. this is where I just, you know, I learned a hard lesson. Um, we can't want it more than they want it for themselves. Well said, James. Yeah, well you know, said. it's so true. Well said. Well said. Gosh. <laughs> and mm. And when you're an employee and you want it more than what, it feels like the the company owner or the executives or whoever is you know what the structure is you end up making a decision right you are you know they, there's the old cliche saying of like people don't quit a company they quit a manager or their leader and that's there's a lot of truth to it if you feel like you've got more to give in the tank and you aren't being tapped into your your talents and what you're passionate about if all you've ever been told is nope don't rock the boat don't change that the best people leave and the, and the mediocre people stay and then you're stuck. And now if they hire Cheryl or James to come in and help them, you're like, 
I don't, I'm starting to now know how to figure that out and realize, I don't think I'm the right fit for you. I think it's going to cost you a lot of money mm-hmm. to not get you anywhere. And I can't afford that for my reputation. And it's not fair to you either. Well said. Yeah. I mean, in the particular situation I'm talking about, I felt like people within the organization that I was coaching were confused. Like, I think they saw me as a combination of a priest or a therapist, none of which are true, but that whole dumping thing is very true. And then becoming the recipient of all of the angst and the, the anger and the frustration with how things are being run. And it culminated in a emergency trip to the hospital to me for a Mm. perforated ulcer. I mean, I'm not going to do it again. Mm. I recognize now that it's not worth it. I gave it three years and really felt like I didn't affect the kind of change Mm -hmm. that I wanted. So Mm -hmm. I've become way more persnickety as Mm -hmm. a result of that because I paid a price. I paid a tax for caring more about it than the senior leaders did, James. Yeah. Well, well, sure. Let's take it back to what it means to be deeply embedded in like, like, so now we've kind of exposed the worst uh, of it and, and uh, the challenge that that would face. And if I come back to like kind of the question of, wouldn't it be great if I thought about some of the outcomes, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to settle for one of three employees, you know, applicants for a job. And we felt like, I, I, I don't know, like, I guess we'll go with applicant B as opposed to, wouldn't it be great if, how do we say no to any one of these three that we've narrowed it down to? How do we find room to bring all of them in? Do we have the capacity to do that? And maybe that's not real, but it's one of those things where you put that application away, but you don't forget it. And six months later, maybe you're contacting them again and saying, hey, Susan, we are at that point. We, we, I know how much you wanted this, we are, we have got this opened up now. And I, I can tell you a story where we hired um, at a company that I was the chief culture officer at, we hired a gentleman named Jeremy. Uh, but Jeremy came in for an interview one day and he came from um, leadership in the, the church world. He was a, he was a youth pastor and excellent at it. Um, he ended up applying and interviewed for a sales position. We loved everything about Jeremy, except he wasn't the right fit for the sales position. But we looked around and we're like, what do we need? And we started to like, we don't want to let this guy go. And so we ended up bringing him in, in a manufacturing environment. And now he, I just spoke with him. He's, he's now a VP at that company. I just spoke with him. Uh, gosh, was that earlier this week or late last week? It, it, Cause I saw uh, an update on his LinkedIn. So like, to me, that's one of those outcomes when you're creating a deeply imbe- where people can get deeply embedded in culture it's, it's attractive. It's, it's a multiplier, Cheryl. It amplifies, multiplies, like that's what you're seeing. I know it is. It's, it's a contagious in a really good way. Ooh, I like that word too. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So what if um, you tell us a little bit about your book? Cause I, I'm really intrigued uh, and I'm quite like, I'm excited because this is a, a dream that I have. I know a lot of listeners uh, have, have dreamt like the stats show a big dream. A lot of people have us to write a book. Now, have you written more than one or do you have the one? You've got the one. Okay. The so one, you, yeah. you broke that, broke through there. Tell us about your book and um, w- what were some of your learning experiences in writing it? Hmm. 
Gosh, that's a that's a, a big question. Uh, for me, for me, I had to wait until I truly felt the call to write it. So okay. it wasn't a it wasn't a just a decision I made. It it was a the culmination of thinking about it a lot. But it was a it was a, a employee meeting where I was speaking to 150 individuals who were largely traumatized over the new leadership that had come in. Hmm. It was a new general manager and and he he brought four division directors up with him because the organization was deeply steeped and used to the the former um, general manager who, who they loved and they knew. And so I was brought in by the senior leadership group to say, can you talk about change and transition when there's a when there's an epic change to an organization like the shifting of senior leadership? What are some of the symptoms that might be observed, or what are the predictable phases of transition that people might go through? So, I said I'd be honored to. So I came in, stood up in front of everyone, and uh, proceeded to say that you know. Change is an external event. Transition is this internal process that begins with the ending of something Hmm. and ends with a new beginning. But with the ending, you can't just slip a switch and go from the ending to the new beginning. There's terrain you have to travel. And I said, some of you may have discovered the these physical symptoms, these emotional symptoms, these psychological symptoms, these physical symptoms, as you're grappling with the sense of loss with the original owner and attempting to make peace with a new group. And I said, one of the things that's really important is that when you're in the midst of a transition that big, the thing that is so weird is you might find yourself not being on top of your game. In other words, it can feel as if 35 to 40% of your normal smarts and bandwidth has just gone. Mm. And you're only operating with 60% of yourself. So how that shows up is you're forgetful. You, you've, you're, you're, you've got memory issues. You might even feel like you've got early onset of of Alzheimer's. I mean, it's this really deeply weird thing where it's as if that 35 to 40% of us is navigating the terrain and making sure that we're safe and, and wanting to get us to the new beginning. So I talked about that. And, and I mean, there were people leaning forward in their seats. There were women who were weeping. I felt like I was able to be the right person at the right time with the right information to truly help heal and transform the group. So afterwards, there was a standing ovation. I stayed the rest of the day and people came up to me in the hallway saying, Cheryl, thank you for languaging that. I felt Hmm. like such a traitor not being able to let go of the old because I didn't want to have to grapple with the ending. And now I understand psychologically what's been going on for me. So anyway, that was a watershed moment where I thought, wow, okay, I think it's time to get this material out. So it's kind of I, like a divine appointment. That's how it felt. That's, <laughs> wow. I mean, it's not kind of, it was. So, yeah. so I started writing. It took five months every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which was quite the thing to devote that for five months. And then it's a lot to get 
get it through the proofreader and the editor and figure out the book cover and all that. But we published January 2nd and then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, everybody was saying, wow, change and transition. That's what we're going through. So I ended up, I think, doing 15 webinars for free for organizations on change and transition. I have a change and transition model. The book got legs. It really got legs during COVID. And then the end of the year, it was nominated for the Sound Advice Book Awards out of the UK. And there were 14 new authors that were finalists. And my book won the audience award. So that was crazy cool. That was crazy cool. And that's why, hence the, the award winning. Um, but I think it's the sense of urgency I felt to write it. I think it had weirdly everything to do with what we as a planet were going to go through with COVID. And then, then the recognition was really sweet. So it's really exciting. So kudos to you. Congrats on that. It's a huge milestone, but man, that's, you, you, you've shared a couple of stories with me privately, and it's just amazing to see how things are coming together. It, that's, that's really cool. Thank you. What's the name of the book, by the way? Oh, <laughs> that would be nice to say. It's called The Wisdom of Transition, yeah. Navigating Change at Work. Yeah. And the, the, the company that I have spoken of about feeling deeply embedded in their employee ownership environment the, the CEO wrote the foreword to the book, was, which was really sweet. And I have probably, I don't know, a dozen or more stories of leaders that I, I was coaching at the time I was writing. And it seemed like what we were talking about during the coaching call just fit. So that was fun. That was fun to be able to pay tribute to them. You, you touched on something. Well, that, and that's to be able to pay tribute. That's awesome. Like that's, that's a way to recognize them. That's uh, it's, it's very honoring to do that. There's something that you said though, that really got me thinking. And it, it's something I phrased it this way is that 2020 exposed just how vulnerable our businesses are to rapid and unexpected change. But the businesses that are thriving were the ones that Okay, outside of maybe being at the right time at the right place with a product or a service, such as selling PPE or something like that. The ones that have have really thrived through this were ready and for for adaptation to 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 modify what they were doing in some way, whether that was and and possibly they were financially healthy before that. You know, they they had a a good stockpile, they had been profitable. All of those are important, but I think it has come down to we were ready for what happened. And I, I'll just throw out Chick-fil-A as an example. Um, and I don't know if you have a Chick-fil-A uh, fast food area or restaurant in your area or not, but what they did, you know, they're based out of the Atlanta area. We've got a couple in, in Cedar Rapids. Before the pandemic ever hit, they had started really ramping up their drive through and one of the ways that, that they did that is they brought their workers outside. And so regardless of the time of the year, if it's lunch or these other peak times, they're coming out with their iPads and their card readers and they walk up to your window and, hi, welcome to Chick-fil-A. May I take your order today? Or actually, they don't even say that. They say, may I have your name, please? Oh, my name is James. And then they call me James the rest of the time. And what can we get for you today? And when you say thank you, it's my pleasure. Now, I've seen because of the, the restaurants have been closed through all this time, 
I've been probably the 24th or fifth car in line because here's what I do because I'm a nerd about stuff, Cheryl. I, you know, I grab my, my stopwatch on my phone and I hit start as soon as I enter the drive-thru. Like, man, this could be, this could be 30 minutes. You know, if it, if it takes a minute a car, well, they've got two lanes. They have this army of people out there. It's all these little stations. You never sit for very long at a time. Maybe a minute or two is, is like, it starts to feel like, wow, I haven't moved in a while. But from entry to like where they hand me my food and I'm driving away, seven minutes, seven minutes. That's remarkable. And it was, you know, if you, when you look at their core values, one of their core values is um, about innovation and we're going to, we're going to adapt and modify. They had that in place before you couldn't go into fast food restaurants. You know, you, 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 you know, compare that and contrast that to some of the old tried and trues out there. One lane, they're still doing it the way they used to. If there's 11 cars in front of you, figure 35 minutes. I'm not doing that, you know? And so again, the businesses that have had an opportunity to grow um, and it could be small mom and pops too. It was because they were ready and, and adaptable and open to doing something different and better rather than sitting on their laurels or their tradition, or we've been around for decades. Well, this is how we do it. Well, the way you do it now, isn't going to fly. Yeah, very that's true. Culture. I mean, that's culture. No, that's culture. That's that's a beautiful example. I mean, I would say in my world, I had I had four leadership development programs that were on the books during COVID to be delivered, and uh, two of them ended up being exclusively online. The other two became no. The other one became hybrid, a combination of both. Some in person, sitting outside, six feet apart with masks, so we could uphold the the current restrictions. And then the other one was postponed mm. to this year. They just wanted to wait because they felt like the social capital gained by having forty people together in person is pretty powerful. Well. Yeah. The thing I want to just say is that I realized that I had to gain expertise in Zoom delivery and how do you create an online two-day leadership development program that's interactive, fun, heart-centered, engaging, and you're not bored or suffering from Zoom fatigue. Mm, Right. So I took a three-day training with Exchange, which basically taught or teaches best practices around how do you create a, a meaningful dynamic experience. So when, when I realized that for this leadership program that I had 25 introverts, James, out of, and 14 extroverts, I thought, boy, I have to really design this online experience to be suitable for people who need time mm-hmm. to gather their thoughts. So that was really fun. Mm. We did it. We did it a week and a half ago and it, it was very successful and got great reviews. But in my world, it's how can you innovate and adapt with what you have and turn it into something just as good as what it would have been. And, and so I'm experiencing that in my own little cosmos yeah. of being a leadership development it's facilitator. Super powerful. Super powerful. Well, I, I, that, that intrigues me. I, it makes me want to like learn from you. Like that's, that's the thing is I, I when we talked previously, it's like, I love where you're at, Cheryl. And there's so many things like, I'm like, I'm shooting for that, that kind of area too. It's exciting. You know, just before we close here, there's one other thing is, is that I'm seeing right now in, um, so obviously I'm in Iowa, 
states opening back up, um, the help wanted signs are everywhere, right? Small businesses, larger businesses, uh, people are starting to get back. My concern, and this is where culture can get completely off the tracks, is that in an um, as people are going back out to say, whether it's restaurants or to shop again, we're hiring back people too quickly. And that's one of the biggest mistakes businesses can make is that they hire too quickly. They don't do their due diligence. And so some people are being called back and some of the people that are being called back maybe weren't stellar employees to begin with, but we need a body and it's tough to find anybody. So yes, we're going to, we're going to bring you in. That can be incredibly disruptive to your culture, but you won't see it. It's impact for six months or a year or sometime period in the future because now you've got somebody that that is uh, toxic from the inside, but you needed them right now in May or June of 2021, and you hired them quick. What are your thoughts on on that whole pipeline of people and the importance of hiring to fit culture? Yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I've found it's deadly to hire just warm bodies mm-hmm. because then you're then you've, I mean, the cost of hire is significant. You've got to onboard them. You've got to integrate them within the organization. Onboarding is a full year process that, that if you're smart, you invest in to make sure that someone's connected and, and that's expensive. And then it's expensive if they suck to have to offboard them, <laughs> right. invite them out the door. I mean, yes. that's expensive. So I would say it's worth it to wait and get somebody who's highly suitable, who in fact is a fit, it's worth it to have the right person because then you're investing in it and you're making deposits into their account and it feels like hmm. it's, there's a, a nobility or, or a worthiness to that. Giving all of that energy to somebody you know is subpar is just like frittering away, I think. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a real eloquence to the words that you choose. I really like, I mean, um, like you used early on captivating, you know, there's, there's so much business doesn't have to be, um, what's the right, what, how can I describe this? It doesn't just have to be, um, a function. It doesn't just have to be like this thing that we do. There can be a higher purpose to it. There can be a higher purpose if you are sweeping a floor or if you're running a fortune 500 company, there's a higher purpose to it, you know? And so the, to me, the best cultures are tapping into things that you're talking about and that you're mentioning the kind of stuff that makes people cry when they hear it. So I'm really, I'm kind of excited. I want to, I want to know where can I grab a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon or where do we go to get it? Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, sure. We're going to wind down here. So um, as in closing, how can people get a hold of you and, and why might they want to get a hold of you? What, what would be the kind of client, you know, that uh, um, you want to talk to? Um, my ideal clients are, are ones that are interested in entering into a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. I've recognized about myself, I'm not enamored with going in and doing an event or doing a workshop or just doing a program. What I think where I'm the best fit is when I have an opportunity to, to serve typically beginning at the top, but then working my way down through the entire organization to 
bring about the highest and best for that organization. So I'm an intuitive feeler on the Myers-Briggs. I have to immerse to bring out that maximizer strength. So clients where I'm the best fitter are ones where we have a, an innate chemistry, we have a shared vision, and there's a sense of, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and together collectively make it happen. So, and the best way to reach me is either through the Wisdom of Transition website, we created one for the book, or Morph Consulting, M-O-R-F is in Frank Consulting. I have two websites and there's a, a way that people can reach out if they'd like to. Fantastic. Uh, I will make sure that those links are in the, in the show notes for, for our listeners too, to make it easy for them. But man, it has been like, I, as soon as you said onboarding and the process of that, I was like, oh, can we talk about that for the next hour or two or, you know, so it's been really fun and enjoyable to have you. I am very blessed to, to have met you. And so um, I, I have a friend in Colorado now that, uh, that I, that I, you, you're going to hear from me from time to time, Cheryl. I'm glad. <laughs> I just I'm want glad. to reach out. So, yeah, no, yeah. I want to stay connected. I mean, it's not often yeah. somebody has four of the five same strengths. Yeah, I think that's that's synchronistic and significant. Well, we and there's some things that we do similar, and there's some things that we do different. But you know, as kind of we both agreed, is is it's the thing that gets us out of the bed in the morning when our heat hit our feet hit the floor. We're ready to go. We're fired up. And there you go. There's nothing better. Nothing better. Thanks again. So good to have you. Thank you, James.